Test. 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 Oh, yeah, there it is. Man, that's hot. There's no way to control that volume down a little bit. Okay, it's working. Yes. Chairs? Yeah, but it says just two rows. All right. What do we do? Just leave the front first two rows. <laughs> okay. Follow the whiteboard rather than principal? Follow the right whiteboard. Yeah, I think that was that's probably what he meant. Okay. Just to leave the chairs out. So we got a lot of material to cover. Ring the bell? All right. Brothers and sisters. Hate to yell. Testing, test, 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 test. There we go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> friends, brothers and sisters. Hey, uh, an announcement. Missy is looking for a Blast Club coordinator. So um, for those of you who have participated in Blast Club, she's looking for a helper to help coordinate for Blast Club. Is that right, Missy? And they have, uh, they have a new coordinator, actually, for the other church heritage that we've been uh, working with. Bob has, um, did he retire? retire? So Bob is retired, so they, they're looking for, they have a new coordinator there. Uh, so if you're interested in maybe helping out with Missy for Blast Club, uh, please see Missy uh, about that. Uh, also, there's a couple of handouts, uh, a couple of announcements in the handout. The ladies thing is this week, right? Is it too late to sign Yeah. Okay, great. So the directory, and that's over, the, it's over at the table, the resource table over there. Okay. Um, and, uh, and then also, I think there's a slide for it here. Tomorrow night begins uh, Heretics and Heroes, part one of our church history class. This will actually be nine weeks. <laughs> I did seven. Nine. This will actually be nine weeks. Uh, starting uh, tomorrow night, 630, it'll be over at the Speaka Real Estate Building. If you know guys, guys know where this is, if you go down here to 84th, hang a left, and it's on the right-hand side. Um, so 6.30, uh, we will probably be using another business that's in that building. So just pull into the parking lot. There'll be people out there uh, around to help you. So we'd love to, to have you uh, come. And if you haven't, let me know if you're coming. Please just mention it to me today. I'll totally forget, but mention it to me anyway, and I'll, we'll try to make sure we have enough resources for everybody, uh, everybody there. Are you ready for Amos? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do I need to change Bible books now? Or, uh, let's turn to Amos. Friends, uh, all I could say is I, I hope that, um, that we, I guess I'm asking. I ask that we're, you kind of strap in for our study right now, because we're going to be doing Amos. I had been... Um, we're going to be looking at Amos chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 16. We're going to do the first two chapters today. Um, I was uh, uh, kind of wondering about whether to do what is our normal practice and is to read a passage of Scripture and then go back and explain it. And then I thought, no, you know what I'll do is I'll just, we'll just read the passage as we go. Um, but then on the way here, I go, you know what, that's just totally going to lose the feel uh, and the impact that, this, that these oracles, this message from Amos has. So I'm going to read it. So this is why I want you to, to really kind of strap in for our study today. Uh, I want to, to, we're going to read the whole thing and then we'll go back and we'll do the teaching on it. Okay, so I invite you to turn to Amos chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 1, and I will read all the way through chapter 2, verse 16. Because this is what we do. This is what Paul um, talks about in the New Testament. He encourages uh, Timothy to uh, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so we didn't, I just felt, just felt wrong not doing that. So let's do this, and uh, let's ask God to, to have us step really into the world of Amos's recipients here and to really feel what he is saying. So let's ask God and then we will read. God, we ask your, your assistance here to give us eyes to see and uh, ears to hear. We know that every time we come to your word, we know it is, it's not just human authors. This is a divine word. And so we need divine help and we need the Holy Spirit. And so uh, help us to, to hear and understand it's in Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus. And cut off the inhabitants of the valley of Aven. And him who holds the scepter of Beth Eden and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod, and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom, and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Taman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kiriath. And Moab shall die amid the uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and I will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, 
because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruits above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you forty years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place as a cart full of sheaves presses down. Flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. And this is the reading of God's word. We say, thanks be to God. So friends, we are digging now into an ancient prophet from the Old Testament, a minor prophet, Amos. Last week we looked at the, the overall kind of biblical context of the prophets as a whole, and Amos in particular, and that was in the context of covenant. The Mosaic covenant that God has made with His people, and then they broke that covenant. And Amos comes to that message and is explaining how that broken covenant applies, not just to the northern kingdom of Israel, but also to the southern kingdom of Judah. But Amos is writing to the northern kingdom in particular. And today, the context is more of the historical context in the setting. I want to begin there. So let's begin, and you could follow along in your handout. Let's begin with who is Amos? We saw this in verse 1. The words of Amos. It says he was among the shepherds of Tekoa. Now, here on the map, you can kind of see over here. It may be hard to see. But you can you see that word there, Tekoa? So... Amos is a part of, we understand Israel's history, right? There was one kingdom under King David, and then after Solomon. Yeah, they're on the printer at home. <laughs> okay. Uh, my wife's out of town today, so <laughs> I, I, I need a helper, you know, my help meet. Um, so I miss her. I, don't, not, I miss her, but uh, okay, where was I? Sorry about the handouts. Um, understanding Israel's history, right? So there was one kingdom under King David and then uh, under Solomon. And then after Solomon, the kingdom split and some of the tribes went to the north, um, which is the northern tribe of Israel, you can see here. And then there were two tribes in the south, Judah being the largest down here. And so Amos, he tells you where he's from. What's, what's his, his neighborhood? He lives over here in Tekoa, which is a region where there was a lot of shepherding activity. That's where they would raise a lot of the sheep, uh, a lot of the cheap, sheep in particular for what would be sacrificed in Jerusalem at the, um, uh, and during their festivals when they needed to sacrifice uh, sheep. As a matter of fact, it says that Amos was a shepherd. Now, if you notice the footnote there in the ESV, it says sheep breeder. It's not the general term for a shepherd who's out in the field. It's more like um, uh, he's, he's kind of like the owner of a large business of, of sheep herding. And so he's probably the kind of the, 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 the main, he owns his own business. And he has shepherds who are under him. We'll put it like that. That's Amos. And then if I invite you to turn to chapter 7, here's another little bit of biographical information about Amos that I think is, that is somewhat important. He's responding to an accusation here, 
And then part of his defense, he's, he, you get a little bit of his biographical information. This is chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. So Amaziah comes with a kind of some contemptuous words toward Amos. And then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. So, um, so Amos is a, a businessman. He uh, kind of has a shepherding business. He has employees who are under him. And not only is he a sheep herder from a herdsman, he's also a dresser of sycamore figs, sycamore fig trees. This last weekend, the guys that, that got to go up to uh, the Greer land, Greer property, and which is 21 acres, th thousands of trees, maybe. And at, we kind of took a walk with the, with the boys, and they were pointing out all the different kinds of trees. There were trees that I was not even familiar with. And so they're like a little tree farming family over here. It was really kind of neat. And I had mentioned it, I believe it was to, to Caleb as we were walking along. I mentioned, I go, hey, you know, Amos was, he was a, he bred trees too. He did sycamore trees. And we kind of reasoned that uh, we don't think sycamore trees grow in Michigan. Um, sycamore fig trees, that is. So do you get an idea of who Amos is? Now back to chapter 1. This is Amos. He's from the southern kingdom, and he has a message, a word from the Lord for the northern kingdom of Israel. So he's not even going to his own people. Something, to interest, something interesting to note about this, by the way. And, and uh, let me just kind of tell you here. Just as a little reflection on that, just on the life of Amos. God will use whomever he wants to spread his word. In those days, you had professional prophets. And it was actually a family business. That's why Amos said, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son. I didn't, I didn't have a family trade. I didn't have a family business. My business wasn't in this religious stuff that was going on. I'm just a regular businessman. I'm a middle class, maybe upper middle class person who's just a worker. That's who God uses. That's who God chose. He just said, I'm a dresser of fig trees. Uh, I'm a sheep herder. Probably started out as a shepherd, kind of grew, expanded my business. Now I have shepherds under me. And yet this person is the one that God has chosen to bring this message. The same is true today. You don't need to be an occupational ministry to really be used by God to bring his word to other people. You don't need to be an occupational ministry. You could be a dispatcher. You could be a realtor. You could be a construction worker. You could be in landscaping. You could be in nursing. You could be in medicine. You could be in uh, electrical. You could be in plumbing. You could have a sales job. You could do website stuff. It doesn't matter. God has given us his word. And as we have it now complete in fullness in, in the scriptures, in the, the whole Bible, Old Testament, and New Testament, as we share this word with other people, we can be doing, we can be called by God to spread his word to other people. One thing we need to know about Amos is that God will use anyone to spread his word. Now, back to this uh, map here. Um, let me go back to the map here and just kind of point out a couple of things here. Um, so notice the Ju Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Um, and then a couple of the cities here, Samaria. That's kind of one of the capitals of the northern, uh, uh, northern uh, kingdom of Israel. Uh, Bethel was a place that we saw mentioned last week. Um, here's Mount Carmel, high mountain up there where a lot of um, uh, grapes and, and things were grown up there. Um, down here in the valley. So this is like 
three or 4,000 feet above sea level. Down over here is hundreds of feet below sea level. So just kind of get a picture of where we're at because it'll make sense as we go through some of these, uh, this word and these pronouncements that are, are given uh, to them. And notice what it says again in verse 1. This message, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 2. He said, the Lord roars from Zion, right here in Jerusalem, and utters His voice from Jerusalem. This is the poetic parallelism. It's basically saying the same thing. And the pastures of the shepherds down here in the south, the lower elevations, mourn and the top of Carmel withers when the Lord speaks. And so now he's going to bring a message here. Now, let me give you a, a helpful way of understanding. He follows the exact same pattern that you may have noticed for every single country that he's going to address. And they are countries. They're neighboring countries. They're enemies and or rivals of, of Judah. He starts with the prophetic formula. Thus says the Lord. And then he has a ruling. He gives the reason and then the result. The ruling is for three transgressions, and then he names the country, and he says, I will not revoke the punishment, and for four. And the idea behind the three and the four is um, the, he, he's keeping track, he's numbering, it's three, and then it's double that plus one more. Um, and the transgressions are sins, it's violation against God's moral law. And so in other ways, it's kind of a way of, if I could give my own paraphrase here, it's uh, the Lord is saying, I've kept track. I have an accounting of all that you've done. There's more than enough data. The evidence of the times of, that you have committed a, a, a evil, I have a ledger of, and the time is up. So that's the ruling. And then he names the country, and then he gives the reason because, and this is where the sin is stated, and then he gives the result, so I will, and it always ends with sending a fire. So now let's look through each one of these countries and find out what their sin is. First, Damascus, verse 3. The prophetic formula, there's the ruling. The country is named, it is Damascus. And you saw on the map, Damascus is way up here on the north. It's part of Syria. The ruling, here's the reason. Verse 3, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. What does that mean? Well, in those ancient days when they would needed to take the grain and then kind of separate it, one of the methods that they would do is lay the grain out in a pile on some stone, and then they would have an ox pull a heavy wooden um, sledge around on the pile to kind of crush it and separate the kernels from the hulls. What he's saying here is that Syria and Damascus, they had been treating, that's a picture of the way they had treated their, this neighboring place down here, Gilead. That they threshed them, but not with threshing sledges of wood, but with iron, like really hard, harsh treatment. The image here is of torture. Inhumane treatment of innocent human beings who are just in the way of their quest for, for profit and to control the trade routes. So extreme cruelty, extreme brutality. I was hesitant to try to find like modern equivalents, but I think we, I'll go ahead and give some. Think Taliban. Going from village to village, pulling people out, and then murdering them in the streets. This is what's pictured behind this threshing sledges against these people of Gilead. And so what's the result? Verse 4, I will send a fire on the house of Hazael, which is the king, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad, which is his son and successor. I will break the gate bar of Damascus, which means the gate bar is the protection for the city. I'm going to break down their protection of the city. I'll cut off the inhabitants. And him who holds the scepter, meaning the king there, will be removed, and the people of Syria will go into exile. That's the message that God gave to Amos down here in Tekoa to, to announce to Israel about their northern enemy. Okay? That's the first one. Second one is Gaza or Philistia. There's the prophetic formula. Thus says the Lord. For 
three transgressions of Gaza, and for four, Gaza is one of the cities down here in Philistia. Okay? And you can see some of the other cities, Akron, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath. Notice what he says. Here's the reason. Because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So in other words, this is slave trade. So there were torture in the first one. This one's slave trade. They captured a bunch of innocent people. They raided neighboring towns of Judah and of Israel and then sold them as prisoners to another country. It's a modern example. I kind of think of the Uyghurs in China taking them captives. And in this case, they're not slave trading them, but they are harvesting their organs and they're harvesting their hair and they're sending them all over the world for profit. The Lord has this, the result. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza, the city, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod. Him who holds the scepter, the king of Ashkelon, I will take, take out. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish. Thus says the Lord. Here's number three, Tyre or Phoenicia. My battery died. Tyre and Phoenicia. This is up north again, except this time northwest along the coast. He gives his prophetic formula and the ruling for Tyre, and then he gives the reason in verse 9. Because they delivered up a whole, oh, a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So it's similar to what Gaza had done, except in this case, they had engaged, we don't know the historical background here, but they had apparently made a covenant, a bond, a promise with this group of people, and then reneged on that promise. And then ended up working with their allies, or with their enemies, to get these people taken away there. So you could say it's kind of the slave trade of Gaza, but adding to it a breaking of the covenant, a treaty violation. There was lying, there was betrayal. And the increase again of human um, uh, uh, dishonor. Breaking in of agreement with an ally that leaves them exposed. Can you think of a modern equivalent for that? That's the sin. Here's the result. Verse 10. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Number, uh, number four. Edom. Okay, now notice this one's down in the southeast of Israel and Judah. Southeast of Judah. Gives the prophetic formula, gives the ruling. He names Edom. Then verse 11, he gives the reason. Because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. Little something to note about Edom, that this, these are the descendants of Esau. So you remember Jacob and Esau? And Esau's de descendants are the Edomites. So when it says here that he pursued his brother with the sword, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Jacob. And this is tyranny, constant oppression. Edom was a, a constant uh, annoyance and enemy of Israel. Constantly oppressing his fellow relative, I guess you could say. At least related down to uh, Abraham and Isaac. So long-term distant relatives, so this is their own people. I think of this, this is tyranny and constant oppression. I think of Australia right now. And so here's the result. So I will send a fire upon Taman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. So notice what's happening then. The word of the Lord to Amos and Tekoa to give a message to Israel, but he's not talking about Israel. He's talking about Syria, he's talking about Philistia, he's talking about Tyre, he's talking about Edom, and now he goes on to talk about Ammon. A little further uh, east of Israel. Prophetic formula gives the ruling, and here's the reason. Verse 13 of chapter 1. Because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. This is a cruel and disgusting treatment of innocent human life, especially the unborn, and for profit. 
God hates that. As he hates all of these sins that they've mentioned. And here's the result, verse 14. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle and with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together. That's Ammon. Here's number six. Moab, chapter two. Prophetic formula. The country is named. The ruling is given. And here's the reason, verse one. Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. Now, apparently this is referring to an event where, you know, as they're on their, they engage in warfare and conflict quite frequently in the ancient days. And then when they had conquered this king of Edom, they had not just killed him to take control. They took him, they took his body, they burned it, they burned the bones down to where it's described as lime here. And this was the material that would be used for plastering of walls. So uh, some commentators say it's like, it's like we're going we're gonna to make a show of this king. We're not just going to kill him. We're not just going to decapitate him and put his head on a stake for everybody to see. We're going to burn him and then we're going to plaster our buildings with it. So this is the desecration of human bodies. Just a... God cares about dignity even in death. In the ancient world, receiving a, a proper burial was very, very important. It still exists even to this day. Like, they, they, need to, they need to put that body in the ground. It's very important. So to desecrate a tomb or to desecrate somebody's bones, this is a heinous, heinous act. And not just culturally, God hates this. He says, for three transgressions or four, I'm not going to revoke the punishment because you did this. It wasn't just like you killed him. You went on to desecrate his body. And I hate that. So here it is, the result. So I will send a fire upon Moab and it shall devour the strongholds of Kirioth and Moab shall die amid the uproar, amid shouting and the sword of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all its princes with him. So let me recap. Let's take a moment here through the first six. Recap a couple of things. The Lord has a word. He calls Amos from Tekoa in Judah to give a message to Israel. And he starts to, in that message, he lists the sins of six neighboring countries. Here's a, if I could give a recap a little bit of what, what he's saying here. Could, the first six. God hates rebellion against his design for healthy human relationships. God hates his rebellion against his design. And then added to that, every nation is accountable for its inhumane acts of rebellion against God. God hates rebellion no matter where it may be found. His, his indictment is not just against, well, these are my covenant people, and so I'm really concerned with how they behave. God is very much concerned with how the world behaves. And that's what this message of these first, uh, the messages to these first six nations is that God cares about the sins of the world. And every nation will be held accountable. But now let's continue. He has a couple more to say. Now he goes to Judah, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the, the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. What is Judah's sin now? Well, it's turning from God's covenant. There's a sense in which each one of these is kind of building toward a climax. And there's a noticeable shift here, right? All of those other things were ethical treatment, what they did to other human beings. And here it's summarized 
in a larger context, you violated your covenant with God. You're guilty of all of the social ills that you've done, but you've also guilty of a religious one, faithfulness to me and me alone. And so the result is, I'm going to send a fire upon Judah, and I will just devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. The nations were cruel, the nations were inhumane, they were ruthless and tyrannical, and God hates that, no matter who does it. And the time is coming of judgment on those nations. And it's not going to be with a flood, it's going to be with a fire. Every single one of these mentions fire. But for Judah... The people of God, it's becoming even more serious because they violated the covenant. Now, pause here for a moment. Take a moment and imagine that hearing this word of the Lord, you're, in Is you're, you're from the northern kingdom of Israel. And this, this businessman turned prophet shows up to give an announcement from the Lord. And he starts railing against all of your enemies. Imagine hearing this, right? I have this against Damascus. Yeah, me too. And then he goes over in the opposite direction. He goes, I have this against the, the Philistines. Yeah, they're horrible. Go get them, God. And then he goes, oh, Tyre. Oh, those guys. Down to Edom. Ammon. Sikkim, God. Moab, Judah. Ah, you're really getting them now. Notice what happens next. Yeah, uh-oh. That's right. I have that in my notes. You stole my note. Uh-oh. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Oh, no. We got an issue here. And here's... Here's the reason. By the way, he doesn't really mention the result. You know, on all the others, there was a so I will, so I will, so I will. There's no so I will here. As a matter of fact, that's the rest of the book, is the so I wills. But he does give a little glimpse here, and he gives a much longer reason. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They sell people for sandals. I mean, you could go one direction and go look at the, like sweatshops where people are making pennies on the dollar in some countries so that we, they could have a $200 pair of athletic shoe. And that's actually being nice, right? They're, I mean, if you go preachers and sneakers, they're $1,500. They loved material prosperity over mercy. Those who trample the head of the poor in the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, they go into immoral acts and thinking there's no consequence to them. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They keep up the religious behavior Without, they, they think that they could do all of this evil conduct, but as long as I keep up the sacrifices, if we go to the altar, we make our offerings, everything is going to be good. Notice what they say. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. Here's another one of their sins, ignoring God's past acts of grace. Verse 9, it was, yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. You just completely ignored the entire history of my acts of grace upon you. To go and play the fool like this. Notice this in verse 11. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets. 
Like, I, I, I called some of your own people so that I could speak a message to you. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Now pause here for a moment. What was a Nazarite? Remember, a Nazarite was a, a, was a group that had a very special vow that they had made uh, of, of, of conscience and their conviction and of their relationship. And here's what the vow included. It was no razor on their heads. They couldn't, they couldn't cut their hair. They couldn't come in contact with the dead body. And they couldn't even touch grapes. They couldn't even touch the skin of grapes, let alone drink wine. Now, you should, a judge should come to your mind, right? Which judge? There was Samson, right? Samson, he was a Nazarite. He didn't have any razor on his head. He had made that vow of, uh, of a commitment. And so God is saying, I raised up prophets for you, and I, some of your young men are, were Nazarites for me. And then notice what he says. Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But look at this indictment in verse 12. But you made the Nazarites drink wine. And you commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. I made them into prophets, and then you go, I don't want to hear it. And then you did this other thing, like I raised up these Nazarites with this conviction to live in this certain way, and you go, you forced them to drink. By the way, isn't that a little toxic today? Going, forcing somebody to take something against their conviction. And so here he gives a preview of the results. Verse 13, I will press you down in your palace as a cart full. I'm going to park a semi loaded with steel on you. Flight shall perish from the, the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself. Doesn't matter how fast you are, doesn't matter how good your armor, armory is, doesn't matter what your tactical skills are, I'm going to come and hunt you down, Israel, and I will destroy you. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. Uh-oh, indeed, right? Imagine the sinking feeling in their heart as they're hearing this indictment against all of their enemies on all of their enemies. And then all of a sudden, now you have this great rhetorical effect. It goes, oh man, we're in trouble. Some of their indictments were a sentence long. This is 12 verses. Israel's in trouble. And here's a lesson. Here's a lesson for Amos, from Amos, for us. God has judgment just as much on his own people as he does the world. God has much judgment on his own people as much as he does the world. Israel had turned from their covenant relationship with God. Remember Jesus said in the great commandment, what is, what is the great commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then in Leviticus 17, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summary of your covenantal obligations. You shall love God, committed to him, worshiping no other gods, loving him in heart, not just in our hands. And then the horizontal, the social relationship too. And Israel was a failure. In the midst of great prosperity and great success, militarily and economically, but yet they were a failure. And so the result was, God has judgment on them too. Their being a part of God's covenant that they totally violate serves no form of protection for them. So God has judgment on much as of his own people who claim his name as he does on the rest of the world. And here's the, the last one. Those who have received greater revelation of divine truth will be evaluated on the basis of what they know. What do 
Damascus and Gaza and Tyre and even Edom to some extent and Ammon and Moab all have in common, they were not part of God's covenantal relationship. They did not have the prophets that came to them. They didn't have priests who serve and mediated for them. And yet they were still guilty. How much more so Judah and Israel are you guilty for failing to live up with what you know? And what God has revealed. Those who have received greater revelation of divine truth will be evaluated on the basis of what what they know and what they've been given. James chapter 3 verse 1 says this, right? The teachers will be held to a much stricter standard when they're judged. I think a, a, a more fuller picture of what Amos is getting at here can be found in Romans chapter 1. And two and three. Turn with me to Romans chapter one. And let me just kind of give you a a summary of what Paul says here in Romans one that I think without quoting Amos, it echoes it in very in very many ways because he's talking to the church in Rome. He had never been there. He'd wanted to go there. He was hoping to go there and minister to them and then to be ministered by them. But he wanted to write a letter beforehand, and he wanted to write the gospel to them. And that's what basically all of Romans is. And he says, and by the way of this gospel, I'm not ashamed of it. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he begins with this long indictment against the Gentiles, right? For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on to explain and lay out all of the wickedness that all of these Gentile nations do. Now imagine being a Christian in the church of Rome who's hearing those words going, yeah, God's wrath is coming upon them. You go, God. But then notice how he switches in chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. says to the church in Rome. You moralist who condemn all of these others for what they do, and yet you do them. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God, he says? Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? He goes on and spends the rest of that chapter. So those you you call yourself a Jew, but yet you don't do the law any more than some of the Gentiles do. And as a matter of fact, some of them do uh, act more ethically than you do. Some amazing little thing that Paul is doing that's very similar to what Amos is doing here. God's judgment on the nations of the world. He will hold them accountable. Yeah, and he's going to hold you accountable too. And the beautiful thing about Romans 1, the indictment upon the, the, the wickedness that's all in the world, and then also the reminder to the believer, those who profess faith in Christ, that you need to live in a, in, in a similar, you need to live in a more ethically responsible way. But wonderful truth that we get then to, to 3, chapter 3, is Paul has pointed out, pagan world, sin. Christian church, We're all condemned. Moralists, Jew, Gentile alike are all condemned apart from Christ, which is how he ends chapter 3. That a righteousness from God has now been manifested apart from the law through faith in Christ to all who would believe. That's the wonderful truth. But let's not... And we'll get to some of the promise in Amos as we get to the end. But we need to sit in what the message of Amos is. It's become, like here, as, as we were a norm, the northern kingdom of the Israelites, hear this message and be reminded. 
that God that God hates rebellion against all of his design and that every nation will be accountable for inhumane acts. But God has just as much judgment on his own people as he does the world. We're still responsible for the way that we live in the world. And verse uh, and the fourth one, and that those who've received greater revelation of divine truth will be evaluated on what they know. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's cling to Christ. Because of, if it were not for Christ and His righteousness, there would be nothing that we could ever offer or bring. And it's through faith in Him that we are restored and forgiven, that we receive this grace. But let us also be reminded, let's be reminded that we, as the Christian church, has an obligation to live, to live morally. Every single New Testament letter presents the gospel, the declaration of what God has done, and then it has the implications. Now we live this way. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word from beginning to end, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We thank you for your grace that you have shown us, the promise of your grace all throughout to failing and fledgling, uh, your failing and fledgling people throughout the Old Testament. And that you are promised that even in the midst of their faithlessness and in their sinfulness and their falling into to wickedness, that you call them back to faith in you. And we thank you that your covenant of grace comes to us fully and completely in Christ. God, help us all to fall before His feet and to confess with our mouth that He is Lord and believe that God has raised Him from the dead. And that God, having done that, fill us with Your Spirit to now walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. God, help us in a very difficult and dark time that we are going to be experiencing as suffering is going to be taking place all through our world because the world can't keep going in this way without your intervening and judging. Help us in the midst of that suffering to cling to you and to live differently than the world. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said, Amen and amen. Friends, will you stand for our closing benediction this morning? Brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.